Roll Podcast. Roll on is back. Yeah, it is. What zone are we in? Are we in zone two? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But first. Hey, everybody. Like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science based habit building program designed by my well being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well-being, courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com/livingproof. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. All right, let's do the show. All right, let's just get into it. Hey, everybody. How's it going? How are you, Adam? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be back here. Welcome back. Back Thank to you. roll on. Back in the studio, digs. It? it looks great. You I don't, look great. I don't quite know what to do. It's been, I checked, it's been since November 10th, 2022, wow. since we've done this. Wow. Feeling a little bit rusty. Right. You and me both. I've yeah. been just locked in a room with no windows or doors. I don't know how I got in there. They built it around me. Uh-huh. And there's a trap door. And they fed me. They did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the darkness <laughs> retreat? Is that what you're talking yes, about? Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Ding. So I actually have a funny story about that. I, I thought about doing that, as a matter of fact, because I just, the reason we haven't done roll-on since November 10th right. 
is, I mean, I had a bunch of travel stuff and then I did what I do every January, which is I take the month off. And in this case, I ended up going to Australia and I can share a little bit about yeah. that um, in, a, in a minute, but I was kind of looking at experiences to, you know, kind of catalyze a little bit of growth. Yes. And the darkness retreat thing like came across my transom and I looked into it. There's a place I had, I actually had it in the outline. Where is it? Is um, it in the Pacific Northwest? Well, there's multiple different places, but there's okay. a place called Sky Cave Retreats, which is in Ashland. Okay. And it's kind of like a little boutique sort of retreat center, like hotel situation. But yeah, they you get a room and you basically I think it's three days six I think you can do six days something like that I'm not sure, uh, and you're in darkness for the entire time and they feed you food I think through like a trap door thing, but in a way where no light ever like penetrates the room so like during the day too there's no light no light no devices no nothing like utter total complete darkness with no stimulus. Listen, Rich. Which actually sounds like, you're like, wow, that would be intense. And then the more you think about it, you realize how just utterly terrifying. Right, that, that does not sound like, like a vacation to no, me. <laughs> what kind of resort is this? So, <laughs> but I think as we speak, yeah. our friend Colin O'Brady is ensconced in just such an experience. Of course he is. Yeah, he was talking about it. I think he's in the middle of it is right he now. Really? Yeah, Good so Lord. I thought about doing that. Good for him. And then I thought, I already live in a prison of my mind. Like right. I should probably resolve some of those things before I put myself in that situation to torture myself. Like, I guess the idea is you you come to the silence at the end, right? Of it, right? Yeah. Or right. you work through that level of discomfort to right. arrive at some level of like peace and immersion in presence. But isn't that like it's got to go sideways though for some people? You would right, think, right? I mean, isn't that what they did in Shawshank Redemption with Andy Dufresne? They put him in the, it's, in it's the sky cave. It's voluntary, <laughs> it's voluntary solitary confinement, yes. right? Except that's, in the dark. That's, it's a punishment. It's not a <laughs> retreat. <laughs> well, you know, isn't an ultra endurance event like, hey, run a hundred miles. You could construe yes. that as a punishment. It, or this is the mental a version A Spartan of that. challenge okay. or a yeah. cold plunge or any yes. of these things that we sign up for. Yeah are, you know, they're all voluntary, you know, exposure to different it's forms true. of discomfort. It's true. No, I get it. I understand the idea is to is to kind of shortcut you to like some Shakti pod moment of self-acceptance. Yeah. I'm just saying, I think I would it's rather run a hundred miles to be honest with it's, you. It is a pretty scary yeah. prospect, right? Yeah. Anyway, anyway we got people... through line one of the outline before we got <laughs> sidetracked, which is why I love doing this. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are tuning in, maybe you're you're new to this whole format yeah. or perhaps the amount of time that's lapsed since the last time that we've done this has led to some kind of memory failure situation. So if that's you, this is the version of the show where in the most general sense, uh, Adam, Mr. Adam Skolnick sitting across from me and I play a little fast and loose with uh, items of interest that have caught our fancy and our whimsy and we share our curiosity on certain things. It's a little bit different from the normal show that we do. And it is also a format that we have now kind of put under the microscope and maybe playing with in the mm. new year, which we can talk tinker, a little bit tinker. about. But I think today is gonna be pretty standard, except we're gonna kind of cut to the chase and be a little bit lean. It's gonna be much more of a AMA kind of listener question focused type episode. We're but, gonna get some stuff off Rich Roll's mind. Mm. Let's just yeah. clear, let's clear the slate. It's been three months. Let's unpack the bags. How about you? I know. 
My goal when I come here is to share nothing. I want to share nothing oh, personal. Come on. Yeah, no, no. Come on. No. Um, how are you? Let's I'm start good, with man. the check-in. Um, so I feel like I can describe the essence of fatherhood. I think it's distilled into these little moments. And one of them is my newfound appreciation for Ice Ice Baby. Uh-huh. How long have you worked on this joke? <laughs> I'm just saying, this is a true story. Okay, go ahead. This is a true story. Do you know what it's like? Like when you, like a song you never liked, but has caught, has become an earworm for your two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I mean, then, it's been, you know, a minute. Like I know. We're, we're in different phases of fatherhood, but. <laughs> Slightly. Go ahead. So somehow a while back, he heard Ice Ice Baby and couldn't stop saying Ice Ice Baby. So it became a go-to on the Zuma playlist. And over time, at first I was kind of hesitant. To, you know, I never liked the song much, even though I grew up in Ice Ice Baby's era. Mm-hmm. I never really liked it that much, even though I admittedly it's catchy. That's a shocker. I never thought it was a good rap song. But now, now I, I know it's a good rap song. Mm-hmm. And is this my love for Zuma? Is it latent appreciation for the artist that is Vanilla Ice? Is it just a good rap song? I don't know. It's I, confusing. It's all very confusing, right. right? So what is the truism that you're extracting from this experience? My point is you can love someone so much that you learn to love the songs they love, even if you don't want to. Mm, there's a poem in there somewhere. Yeah, that's my haiku. Less a joke, that. more a poem. <laughs> it's kind Learning of poignant. to love the things that the person you love loves. Right. Right? Because he loves it, he jumps around to it. And to be honest, when it comes to the point in the song where he's like, A1A, Beachfront Avenue. <sighs> I say it out loud, just like that. That's what right. I do. Well, enthusiasm is infectious. Yeah, is thank you. So I love, I love Ice Ice Baby now. At me if you must. I love right. it. All right. Yeah. Good. All right. So we checked that box. Fatherhood. Fatherhood distilled. Um, I, my foot is a little better, better than it's been in a long time. It's not perfect. It may never be perfect, but it's, uh, I had that two PRP injections. My post tibial tendon has reconstituted itself of its own accord. That worked well for you. It's worked well. I'm, I'm running. I've done like six runs in three weeks. So it's not like I'm, I'm hammering it, but I'm back doing that. I'm in the gym. Part of my rehab, uh, Dr. Goggins ordered me into the gym to lift weights, mm-hmm. which is not my favorite thing to do, but I've been doing it, enjoying mm. it with the great Nick Nur. Shout out. Um, we were in Kauai. We did a sabbat. We did a mini sabbatical, but not like a total sabbatical. Brought the whole family. Yeah, and uh, that was awesome. Saw some old friends in Kauai because I know we both have a Kauai backstory. And so that was January for us. We kind of skipped out on a lot of the rain. Uh, and other than that, it's just been kind of watching the Goggins book kind of happen and unfold. And that's been really rewarding. Right. So the last time we sat down together was before the book came out. That's right. right. Because it came out in January, December? It it came out in December, December 6th. Yeah, right. Okay. So, I mean, it did what you expected it to do, right? Like it hit number one on Amazon, (laughs) which is a crazy expectation to to actually set (laughs) and then achieve. But anyway, it did that. Once again, competing against not only Michelle Obama, but like the Royals. Yes. Right. So the Royal, the Royal, <laughs> like, the Royal Smash Up. I know, 
But like mixing it up up there, I mean, by all appearances, it seems like it's done fantastically well. It's done really well. You yeah. know, we, we did, we were number one for that week on Amazon and then Harry came out, but we've been, uh, we were number one on Audible for like five weeks. I mean, we were doing mm. really well. Can't Hurt Me got a bump out of it. Yeah. Um, is, the, is the audiobook outselling the yeah. hard copy? Yeah, and that's, that's been the way it's been, uh -huh. even for Can't Hurt right. Me. I think it's like, I don't exactly know the numbers, but it's like 55 or 60% of it, it's audio. Right. Um, Which of course the margin, you know, doesn't even compare, right? There's no, no cost. Right. And when you're right. self-publishing, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. When you're self-publishing, it's massive. And so that's been really cool. And David hasn't even really been, I mean, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Right. Which he did a couple a podcasts thing. and that couple. was kind of it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So, you know, it's pretty amazing that it's staying up there. And, you know, it's I will say that like when we were writing it, David's idea was to, he, he was always thinking about the reader from the beginning. And that experience, more than any other experience I've ever had in writing, including the Lonely Planet books, which are obviously service journalism, and you should be thinking about the traveler. I, I don't think I've ever been in a space of thinking about my readers more than I am now. And part of that is David, part mm. of that obviously being on the show with you as well, because it is service in its own way. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, like, it wouldn't be doing this well without the readers. We really appreciate you guys. Uh, I can't thank you enough for all the support, both personally for the Goggins books. You know, we do care about giving this content in a way that will motivate and inspire you. It does mean a lot that it's working. And uh, also want to thank you because, you know, I wouldn't even know who David was if it wasn't for your original interview with him and, well, and all you of would that. have eventually. Yeah, yeah, I would have <laughs> eventually. Know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the fact that we're like started there and then to come full circle, it's just, it's such a cool thing. And so like to see David who is, this incredible, you know, he really does set an example on so many levels. And I look up to him a lot, even more so than ever, really mm -hmm. personally. And so it's, it's just great to be a part of it and, and really thank all the listeners out there who's been, who's been supporting it. Yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. I'm happy you. for David. It's quite, you know, a trajectory. And, you know, the books are powerful and yeah. they do motivate and inspire people. And, you know, I'm sure countless lives are, are you know, kind of permanently transformed by, yeah. his, by his work. And, and, you know, the work that you put in to making it the best that it could be is like no small thing. Yeah, man, cool. it was. But, it, you know, it made me a better writer. Like it made me better in so many mm -hmm. ways. So it's like, it's great to have gone through that process and the process is always different. But the good thing about writing is it is a process. You can rely on the process uh -huh. um, when you've done it enough. And really the process is just continuing to to distill it down it, and down and down. Does it put you in a position where now you're getting pitched to be a ghostwriter on other people's books? Well, that's happened. You and know, do since, you want to do that? Is that something you're interested in doing? That's happened since Can't Hurt Me was a hit. Like I've, I've periodically would mm -hmm. get real offers from like real publishers and then just random people who say, hey, I've got this, you know, and some, some of these random people are Olympians or like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. but, but who are asking me personally. Um, I have so far said no to all of it. Um, I'm not against it. Obviously, this is the golden age of ghostwriting. You know, we've talked about it. It's obvious. It's the New York Times is a story on J.R. Moringer, who's like the alpha ghostwriter who just did Prince mm -hmm. Harry's book. So the fact that it's out there being talked about is interesting. It is this golden age of ghostwriting. So the funny thing is you can get paid more as a ghostwriter than as a like writing your own stuff, which is kind of like backwards, right? Mm -hmm. But typically mm -hmm. when someone asks me to write their book, I do my best to convince them to write their book. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I do. That's my first move. I think you should write your book. That's what I say. 
Well, yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. in a minute. But just to kind of wrap up yeah. uh, goings on with you, you also just published this New York Times story, which got a pretty good reaction, right? You wanna yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I did a story on Lakpa Sherpa, who is a Sherpa woman from Mount Makalu in Nepal. And she, last climbing season, last May, she became the first woman ever to get 10 summits of Mount Everest. Mm. She's the first woman ever to go to hit the summit and make it back to base camp alive. There was another Nepali woman who in the 90s reached the summit but died on her way down. And she was the first to do it. Now she's the first to get 10 summits. That's like a hallowed number. So if you're a sports fan, it's like 500 home runs or 3,000 hits in baseball. It's like this number only 36, I think, is the number of people have ever done. 24 of them are, are Sherpa and they're all been men. Mm-hmm. And so she's the first woman to do it. And her life story is just tragic, but also uh, triumphant in its way. She survived domestic violence. She moved, she's, she's been working at Whole Foods in West Hartford. She cleaned houses for a living. She's an immigrant woman. She came over here after summing it twice with a uh, Romanian climber and started living in, in Hartford, Connecticut and has gone through the ringer like as a single mom and but still managed to get back there and add to her summit toll. She was on the mountain when the big avalanche came through base camp. She was on the mountain wow. when they had the big earthquake. Uh-huh. Uh, so she's, you know, her mentors have died there. Uh, she is just this incredible woman that has never been sponsored. And so it was a great story. I was tipped off to it by a guy named Ben Pryor, a listener of yours, who has done some research for me. Mm-hmm. And he said, you should do this. And at the time it was like six weeks after she'd done the climb, maybe it was like a month. And I thought it's too late to do a story like that now. But then I tried to get a hold of her, couldn't do it. And then Badra Sharma, who is a New York Times reporter out of Kathmandu, he and I worked on the NIMS story together. I messaged him and I said, hey, do you know Lakba or have you ever met her? And it turns out he was there when she came back to Kathmandu and had this hero's welcome Mm -hmm. and had a great interview with her. So we started there. We got in touch. I interviewed her after that and we just kind of collaborated on this piece and people have loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, man. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Well, I turned it in in September, and then it didn't get published till like oh, wow. last week. Wow. <laughs> Welcome to mainstream media publishing. I guess I don't know. I think what you happened know? was I interviewed her in July, August, but or I think in August, but I couldn't get to it until late September because I was finalizing uh, Never Finished, yeah. and then by the time I got to it, I turned it in like a week before the World Cup, and like the time Sports then Desk was all, was all in yeah, yeah. in uh, in yeah. Qatar. Interesting. Cotter. Cotter. Um, cool. Yeah. Cotter, I think. Cotter. 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 Um, are you working on anything else for the Times? Uh, there's, a, there's a swim race in late April in Arizona. Have you heard of this thing? The Scar uh-uh. race. It's where it's this four contiguous lakes, reservoirs in Arizona that people swim in a stage race. And so I'm going to do that story oh, for cool. them. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Munitonas turned me on mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And so he won it last year. But this year, apparently, a lot of really um, established and and well-regarded open water swimmers who've got like the the resumes on these guys are insane. Mm -hmm. Right, They're all gonna be there. So it should be a more interesting kind of weird carnival to follow around in Arizona. Cool. So um, that's on my radar. But other than that, just finishing up this other big project Mm -hmm. and um, excited to talk about that at some point. When appropriate. When appropriate. Cool. Yeah, man. How are you? Um, Good to have you back. Yeah, thanks, man. How it's good, it's good to be back. Uh, sabbatical was great. I'll get into it in a second. Before that, okay. I just want to make sure I make this announcement, which is that we are finally reprising our Plant Power Italia retreat. This Amazing. is something we've done 
every year up until COVID. And then we canceled it uh, a couple of years in a row. And last year it was sort of on the fence and ended up deciding not to do it. We are gonna do it um, this year. It might be the last time that we do it. Uh, it's gonna go down April 22 to 29. Mm -hmm. Right now we're about half sold out. So I, th I think that leaves about, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 20 open spots at the moment. And it's a pretty remarkable kind of life-changing experience to spend a week with a group of people cooking, doing nutrition, hiking, trail running, doing yoga, meditating, Amazing. touring, you know, Tuscany, you know, hanging out, <laughs> music, like live podcasting kind of sessions. Like we do tons of great stuff. We have special guests. It's, it's really quite something. And so I'm really looking forward to it. Special guests meaning like yoga teachers or like yeah, experts Yeah, I don't know what, every field. year, like we've had different kind of people, like, and we'll figure that out at some point, I'm sure, you know, TBD, but it's always, Pretty cool. We've had the Happy Pair guys come, for example, and we'll do like a live podcast with them, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do it at this place called Aisolana, which is this incredible agriturismo. It's like a working farm, but it's beautifully appointed, like villa and accommodations with like two pools and this beautiful yoga room and dining hall. And it's nestled sort of halfway between Siena and Florence, like just an incredible, <laughs> you know, part of the world. Um, very sky cave. And it's very, this is a very this sky is, cave. This is the antithesis <laughs> of the sky cave, right? Like, yes. you know, hanging out with like amazing people doing really high vibe shit. So amazing. if that sounds cool to you, you can learn more about it at ourplantpowerworld.com com ourplantpowerworld.com. I'll put that link up in the show notes. Again, about half full. So if you're interested, I'm pretty sure it's going to sell out quickly. So jump on that. And then just to, you know, kind of goings on recently with me, yes, yeah. I did this sabbatical, but prior to that, we haven't done a roll on because I was right. traveling. I went to Hawaii to crew for the Ultraman World Championships, which is the race that I did a number of times, yeah. like, you know, 10 years back. I hadn't been back, I'd been back to the big island, but I hadn't been back to that race. And that race is really so much about, you know, not just the aloha spirit of Hawaii, but also like ohana, like family, right? And, you know, giving back is kind of a, a fundamental aspect of participation in the race. And that was kind of a glaring omission in my relationship or, or history with the race. Like I always felt compelled or, or you know, this desire and need to go back and serve the race that had given me so much. Mm -hmm. And an opportunity arose to go and crew for uh, a friend of mine, Howie Nordstrom, who was competing. He asked me and I said, of course, this is great. Like he's asking right at the moment where I thought like I need to do this anyway. Right. And it was cool. Like it was weird and cool to be back there after so long. Right. So much of it is exactly the same. Like it's sort of um, to the race's credit, it has not like sort of uh, succumbed to the pressures of commercialism. Like it's very much, you know, still in its roots of, of what it is. In, in that right. kind of purity As sense. opposed to these undermile races that have like mushroomed in terms right, of like attendance. Sponsors right. get involved yeah. in and then yeah. they, they grow into some, you know, kind of big money-making enterprise right. and, and it loses sort of its soul. Like Ultraman is not that. Like it's still like, wow, this is exactly the same as it was. Same people. Some of the people who were racing when I was racing are still doing the do, race. Do you think, I don't want to interrupt, amazing. but do you think it's because it's so hard 
that like that the the demand is still not great, or do you think it speaks to just the? Fact I don't think that it's that it's it so. Down? I mean, there are like you know when there are Moab, there's the Moab two forty. Right, like right. there's a lot of hard stuff out there, yeah. right? I think there has been a conscious you know concerted effort to keep it that way cool. on purpose. Like there's That's an cool. intentionality behind that. Yeah to keep it small, like only, you know, 30 to between 30 and 40 participants, et cetera. And it was great. It was great to be back and reconnect with that, you know, part of myself. And it brought back a lot of memories and then to serve Howie and get him, you know, across the finish line. And, you know, that race is hard for everybody and it had its highs and its lows and all of that. And to be on that side of that equation and appreciate just how challenging the crew role is and being in that service capacity was, you know, a, an amazing experience. And I did it alongside another friend of Howie's, this guy, Ryan Smoke, who is an Ironman athlete, who is one of those guys that does it in partnership with a challenged athlete. Like he pushes uh, oh, a younger kid. Yes. Um, but really cool guy. We had fun serving Howie and it was, you know, it was hard and it was, there were highs and lows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it was cool to meet some of the younger athletes and, and also see how uh, the quality of athletes continues to improve, like on the women's side, especially like Dee Dee Griesbauer, who's a very accomplished former Ironman professional triathlete, who's now 52, just absolutely like crushed it, rewrote all the records, mm. got third overall, mm. like just dominated the whole thing and, and, and was amazing. And that was really cool to see. Um, on the men's side, Richard Thompson from Australia got first and this guy, Stephen Keller, who's a veterinarian, got second. And, you know, those guys were both just, you know, superstars and and uh, excelling, you know, at a pretty high level. So it was, it was cool, a full circle moment to be back. Yeah. And I feel like that chapter has kind of like, okay, you know, like it's complete now. Julie was like, if you go back and do that, do you think you're going to want to do that race again? Right, or some other kind of ultra? I didn't have that sensibility. I was like, no, I did it. Like I, I, I had that experience. I learned what I wanted to learn and what I needed to learn from it. I went back and contributed to it. And it feels like complete. You know? What about ultra in general? I don't know. I mean, the back has to get healed first, right, yeah. you know, and that's yeah. not the case at the moment. Right. So I can't really make any of those predictions until I figure out how to get to the other side of that. Fair enough. Which is longer. But that's pretty cool story. to be able to do that. And then and then I think you I remember you telling me that there was this cool banquet afterwards and you got to say your piece too, right? Um, you got to speak to the- No, the, I didn't speak. I mean, there was a bit like, they do a banquet at the end and okay. every athlete gets okay. to go Everyone up to the podium and okay. share their experience of, you know, participating in the race. And so you get to hear, all of these stories it's and amazing. all their flavors and and everybody's got a crazy story, right? right like right. you don't sign up for something like that unless you're <laughs> you're like, you know, kind of living outside the box on Nobody some has level. an easy day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, all the different flavors of that yeah. are pretty cool. And it, and cool. it was also cool like to go back and know like some of these people like listen to the podcast, yeah. which is cool too. You yeah, know, that was that was really fun and, I would imagine. and gratifying and yeah. all of that. I'm sure so, there's people that were there that because they read your book or heard the podcast, there has to be some. There were a couple. Yeah. yeah there were a couple yeah. people who, yeah, that, well, that was the initial spark or, you know, hearing about the race. And frankly, like David Goggins, like reading about Goggins yeah. doing Ultraman yeah. was a spark for, for me, for right? You. Like, right, yeah. so that lineage continues, which yeah. is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but I returned from Hawaii and then, you know, almost immediately uh, while I was in Hawaii, my college swim coach, Skip Kenny, passed away. Yeah. So when I returned, I had to go up to Fresno for, I didn't have to, I drove up to Fresno for a memorial for him. He was 79 years old. And that was a interesting experience to reunite with a bunch of teammates from 
my swimming days, many people I haven't seen in decades, some people I've stayed in touch with, but for the most part, like lots of people, I just, I didn't know. I thought maybe a ragtag group of a couple Bay Area people might show up, but there were a lot, like a lot of swimmers over the over the many years that he coached that showed up. And, mm. and that was pretty cool. And, you know, kind of analogous to the Ultraman experience, like another kind of like, full circle moment, like putting an end cap on, you know, a life experience, yep. uh, you know, in, in, in sort of a sense of, of completion and and also, you know, sort of a resolution to uh, a relationship with a complicated guy who, mm. you know, was very successful. He, you know, arguably one of the most successful NC2A collegiate athletics coaches of all time right. across any sport. Right. Like his, his winning streak and his success speaks for itself. He's the John Wooden of swimming basically, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, had like, I don't even know the stats off the top of my head, but like, you know, so many NC2A championships, like an incredible streak of winning Pac-10 championships, the number of Olympians, NC2A champion, you know, individual athletes that have passed through the program. It's like, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, I have conflicting emotions about the whole experience because on the one hand, I'm, I'm so proud and to have been, you know, a member of those teams and participate. It's like a, it's such an honor to, you know, have competed and trained with so many great athletes during the heyday, that heyday in which Stanford was the reigning, you know, number one swimming program in the world. But also, you know, like reckoning with the fact that, you know, at least for me, like Skip didn't work as a coach. Right. And, and it left me kind of reflecting on mentors that I've had in general in my life and the role that this show kind of plays in terms of providing mentors to other people. And then what is the relationship to, like on an unconscious level, I start this podcast right. and I start inviting these people on who I guess on some level, I'm sort of like, well, how can this person mentor me now, at least for two hours? And then sharing that, hmm. there seems to be some kind of connective tissue between those two Interesting. things. And is that why you went in? I don't want to jump on you, like push the outline we have here, but you did just do this intense therapy week too. Like that was before Byron Bay, right? Right. So then, so then I get back from it's Fresno. It's the perfect time for that, and then, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking like, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going <laughs> to, you know, I'm trying to figure out some kind of growth catalyst yeah. uh, to kind of shake me out of my stasis a little bit beyond just going to a nice place and relaxing. And that's where the idea of the Sky Cave retreat thing came up which I quickly dismissed thinking, I still got some like demons in the closet. Like if I'm in a dark room for six days without having ever really confronted that in an honest way, what's that gonna look like? Mm. That might not go so well, right? Mm. So maybe I should find uh, a therapeutic modality to kind of deal with some stuff that's just been a hum in the background for you know most of my life. And that's where the idea of doing a week of family of origin therapy came up uh, at Paul Conti's clinic in Portland. So listeners may or may not remember that I had Paul on the um, podcast. He is a world, you know, one of the leading experts on trauma. And, you know, realizing that I have all this stuff in my past, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work and I've come a long way and I've, you know, grown, et cetera. But, you know, there's always more growth to be had. And there's a lot of stuff from like, you know, early childhood that I just haven't really unpacked and made peace with. And um, I've noticed that it comes up in certain behavior patterns, like with my wife or in the way that I parent my kids. And Julie is often the one to point out like, hey, you're, you know, you're kind of mimicking this, pattern that you said you didn't want to do or that is something that, you know, 
was something your parents did that you didn't like. So she's always like, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, you're right. Like I am doing that. Why do I do that when everything about me is trying to not do that and be kind of in opposition to that, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's so embedded in you, right? right? And it's so part of just who you are. It's hardwired into your system because it was implanted there at such a young age. Uh, and I just felt like I have this time, like I'm gonna go really dig into this. And it was an incredible experience. Mm. You know, five days of like, you know, eight hours a day working with a, a team of different therapists to really, you know, figure out why I have certain latent anger issues or resentments and, you know, how to really kind of work through them and transmute them and make peace with myself and the people that I love. and. You know, obviously you're not gonna solve everything in a week, but right. uh, you know, coming out of that with a lot of clarity and understanding and, and, and like tools has been like revelatory, it's been mm. incredible, yeah. It, are you doing like the, like you say holotropic breathing exercise, is that like a lot of hyperventilation? No, no, no I put that like in the outline, like okay. I, you know, one of the kind of triggers for me that made me realize like I have a lot of stuff like percolating in my unconscious is an experience I had doing holotropic breathing many years ago. I've had good experiences with holotropic breathing experience, but on this one occasion, uh, and this has happened like two or three times, I did a very intense holotropic breathing uh, exercise with a group with Julie. And in the wake of that, felt this overwhelming sense of like anger, like, mm. like almost like rage, mm. which is, I'm not, I don't, I'm not an angry person. I'm yeah, not you're not a yeller yeah, like, or anything. And I literally had to go into a room and like shut the door and be away from people for more than a day, like almost 48 hours to like reset. And it was very disorienting and confusing. Like, why, why did that happen? Like, what is, you know, what is going on there? And it just made me realize, and this was many years ago, like, hey, I got, there must be something, you know, right. driving this. Like, I don't know why that is. And, uh, and so that was always in the back of my mind. Like, if you really wanna be whole and free yourself from whatever that is, like, you're gonna have to go towards it. So, so six days of intensive therapy. It was, or eight it was days? five days. Five no, it was days. five days. Yeah, Monday through Friday. And then you get on a plane to Byron. It's <laughs> <And then laughs> a good I reward. I came home, I had holidays. <laughs> okay. I had holidays with okay. The family, and then, uh, and then, yeah, took a couple weeks in Byron Bay to like kind of reset, which was it's like my favorite place. I love it. Yeah, yeah. And this is the fourth year that I've done like a you know a break of this nature to really just you know stop everything and you know go inward and meditate and write and engage in a little solitude, sun, surf, you know, all that good stuff. Mm. And it was fantastic, you know. Uh, I did do one podcast while I was there. Though. Oh, you did? Yeah. So you know this guy, Ned Brockman? Yes, the, the runner. <laughs> He's the best. Yes. I was like, I'm in Australia. Like you Ned love Brockman yeah. is like, you know, an Australian hero right yeah. now. This dude like ran all the way across Australia. He's the most Australian dude of all Australians <laughs> with the bleach blonde mullet. And like, you know, you can't even like his Australian slang and vernacular is like, so, you know, like Next intense level. that you're like, yeah. what? I don't even know what he's talking about, but you can't help but fall in love with this guy. Like he's very, um, he's so earnest, right? And he's young, he's like, he just turned 24. And tell, to remind and I like, people I what, he so he, what he did. So he, after only running for two years, he only had like two years of running experience decides he's gonna run all the way across Australia, which is 
in the range of running across the United States. It's right. about the same, except like you're in the middle of nowhere. Except you're in the outback. The there's yeah, a lot of like, bugs and and, like and a lot of like, you know, these apparently like these trucks, like the 18 wheelers, right. they go, they're called cargo trains or something like that because they drive together. So there'd be like a whole bunch of them at once. And there's not a lot of um, shoulder and, you know, so there's a lot of like harrowing right. experiences that he had, um, but it's like, I gotta meet this guy, right? And when he finally finished, and ended up in Bondi, there were like thousands of people to greet him, 5,000, 10,000, I'm bad Incredible. at estimating numbers, but it was quite the thing, right? Yeah, like right. all of Australia turned up to like support this guy. So cool. and, and so anyway, I did do a podcast with him. Did you rent a studio space or no, borrow so a studio space? friend of the pod and personal friend, Simon Hill, who ah. is a Byron Bay resident. Yes. He was like my sort of Sherpa introducing me to people. He hooked me up with this place called Soma in Byron, which is a 28 acre meditation retreat center that is owned and run by these two guys, uh, Gary Guro, who's a meditation, uh, Vedic meditation teacher, and this guy, Peter Ostick, who's sort of an entrepreneur who is the kind of financial partner in all of this. And it is the most beautiful meditation retreat center I've ever seen. And I'm not alone in thinking that because Hulu, and they built it apparently like right before lockdown and COVID and all of that. Okay. Then they complete it, lockdown happens, so they can't even host retreats. But Hulu came along and said, hey, we'd like to rent this place for this limited series we're doing with Nicole Kidman that was called like Nine Perfect Strangers. Do you remember that show? I do, I vaguely remember it. She was it, like yes. a cult guru yes, or something yes, like that. Yes, I haven't I watched it, it but yeah. apparently the whole series takes place at this meditation <laughs> retreat center, which is like beautiful modern architecture and rolling right. green hills and like incredible or whatever. Right. So anyway, um, Peter and, and Gary made the space available for us to record there. Oh, cool. Yeah, so Amazing. that'll be coming out at some point. Um, but yeah, I loved Byron, just brought my bike, rode in the hills there. It's, it's like, it's, it's there's like, a lot of influencers there. There was like, a, I think there was some sort of show about that, like a, a funny reality show about the Australian influencers. Uh, I, think, I think there's yeah. a show called like, like a reality show called like Byron Bays or something like <laughs> yes. that. But I was told not to watch it, that it would ruin my <laughs> my relationship with this beautiful it might. place. It might, I've seen um, a little but bit. But there are a lot of cool people there. there are, like there my other Sherpa is this guy, Ben Gordon, shout out to Ben, yeah. who is sort of a mayor of Byron. He grew up there and he's a drummer in a pretty successful heavy metal band called Parkway Drive. Oh, cool. And he also owns this place called the Byron General Store, which is kind of like the cool place to go have brunch or breakfast, Okay. have your green smoothie, healthy food. He's plant-based, he's a meditator. And, you know, he's in this like successful rock band, but he's into like surfing and all. You know, right. I got to hang out with him and he took me surfing. I cut my finger open. <laughs> It was fun though, uh, and introduced me to a bunch of people, and you know, was able to go to his house for dinner. I just was. My point being, like, I was made to feel very at home yeah. uh, in a place that's very far away from my home, it's but felt very much like a home for me. Yeah, it's like a I blend of like Hawaii. There's Hawaii. There's California. There's like you know what I mean. There's like there's a, a mix. It of also all these... has like a hippie, yeah, vibe, hippie vibe to it. Right. You know, a lot of natural, organic markets mm -hmm. and vegan food places yeah. and stuff like that. So it's, it, to me, it was like Topanga meets Maui with a like a light dusting of Ireland. Like right. when I was riding my bike in the hills, there'd be these incredible ranches and everything is so green, like these rolling fields and, you know, but then you have like 80 degree water and just beach breaks in every direction. I mean, Blue uh, you know, incredible, like very surfable breaks all over the place. Mm. Like it's pretty cool. Super cool, yeah. man. Anyway, so it was good. Did you cry in the departure lounge? <laughs> I did not, no. 
I did not. <laughs> I'm always on the lookout for yeah. tears in the departure lounge of a place like that. I did not. No. Um, we got to take a break in a second here. But yeah. um, before that, I will say, I'll kind of round out this story by just saying that it was very productive in terms of cracking open a new book project and getting momentum yes. on that, which I'm pretty excited about. And you were with me the other day when we were with our mutual friend and literary agent, Bird Level. Mm-hmm. So I was able to show him- uh, Shout out Bird Level. Shout out Bird. Um, the pages uh, that oh, I've been working on. Yeah, I showed him some stuff. Oh, because you were talking about it. I had to leave and you showed him some well, pages. You had to leave and then I was like, let me show you what I'm doing. And and he was very happy. Like Adam's so gone and it's safe. That. Let's yeah. show him the pages. So anyway, I feel really <laughs> and energized and excited about that. Yeah. So, I'm excited. That's so cool, man. So you know, like, because cool. I was listening to the Seth Godin podcast you did recently mm-hmm. and you were talking about like this drive to get back to writing, but this, like this, block because you're you're diving into the podcast and you have all these commitments but you there's a part of you there's like the thing about writing that i found is 90 percent of it is dealing with this insect gnawing at your brain (laughs) until you deal with it right like it doesn't go away right i mean it does not go away you can try to like it's like the cordyceps in last of us (laughs) like eating away your your like Your brainstem. It is. Yeah. It is. So now you're dealing with it and then it kind of quiets down. Not only does it quiet down, you actually feel good about it. Like yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. now I feel like I'm a normal person. Right. You feel a little when bit you're more like, normal. When you're like, yeah, feel attending to normal. it. When you're ignoring it, yeah. you walk around like just angsty yeah. all the time, right? It's, it's cool, man. I can't wait anyway. to, to read some stuff and, and I'm really excited for you. So let's take a quick break and then we're going to do some listener questions. A few more things to say about the future of Roll On in 2023 in general. And uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. So stick around. All right, everyone, we're back. Uh, We're going to get into some listener questions. Before that, though, we mentioned earlier that we're going to be exploring a few format changes with Roll On. So let's talk about that for a hot minute. Let's do it. You want to do that? So yeah. I think what we're going to do is uh, is move Roll On to once a month. And then for the other midweek episode, we're going to play around with some new kind of supplemental ideas. And we're also going to iterate on Roll On. We're going to, you know, I don't know, push the envelope here. Yes. I think there's there's a sense that, at least my sense, is that uh, Adam is a very talented man, and oh. the the format in which we are engaging with Roland right now, I'm not sure takes advantage of your best talents, and I think there are better ways to to use this opportunity to be uh, you know a better servant to the audience. Right? I 100% agree. I not think. today though, because we're just bullshitting and bantering, right. and people are like, "What are you even doing? Like, right. why am I listening to this?" Right. Like this kind of I'm I am a good so, bullshitter. You I'm are. just not as good at We're that as I am in. at other things. Have we provided value yet for the <laughs> yeah. audience? I don't know. Um, you know, I'm excited about doing some original reporting with you, doing some, uh, like, we're going to, I think the idea is to script it a bit more and to do kind of uh, segments. And, mm-hmm. and and this is what we've talked about. We, we don't really fully know what's going to happen, but we're, the thought was to put a little more pre- and post-production into it and create... One idea is to create a uh, an audio magazine that reflects 
kind of the Rich Roll Pod universe and kind of dive into some cool right. subject matter. And if we're only doing one a month, we have the time and the, you know, kind of bandwidth to do something a little bit more elevated. Yeah, just a little more yeah. creative and and uh, like a little, put more resources in. Cause so many people are just turning on mics now and like you've done that and you're great at it. Uh, but it'd be fun to see, you know, uh, to create in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think people who love the banter, because I, I, we got some calls about like, there's some people who just love this format. The banter will be there. We're going to sit down and talk about it. We're not going to just like do, throw some segments together and not talk to each other. The banter is going to be there. It's just going to be in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, on that note, I think it's important to throw it out to the audience. Like what would, you know, yeah. what, what would what would be most beneficial for you, audience member, uh, in terms of how Adam and I use this, you know, opportunity to to serve you. And, and maybe the best place to let us know would be in the comments section on YouTube, because um, that's an easy kind of one-stop place to go and canvas through that stuff. Perfect. So if you're like, we're talking about, if you think about it from an audio magazine perspective, like what are the departments you'd like to see? Like what are the worlds you'd like us to explore and, and kind of, and sometimes it might just be like one thing it, we've thought about is a Q&A with uh, someone from the Rich Roll audio verse. Some of it could be an original report like NPR or this American lifestyle reports and, mm-hmm. and, and anything in between. So, and some of it's going to be just rich kind of speaking his mind and writing some stuff and sharing where he's at and uh, just like we're doing now, but just a little more elevated. Yeah, and a little bit more creative, I would say, Yeah, right? Um, And I think, you know, my perspective is always, I wanna serve the audience. Like, is this working for you? Is it not working? I don't wanna waste anybody's time. And I think now, you know, everybody, there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of choices, right? And so I wanna be in a position to be delivering at the highest level the needs and the desires and the wants of the person who's taking time out of their busy day to check this out, right? Yep. And if we're missing the mark, like I'd like to know that. Yeah. How can we do better? What would be interesting? And then also us on our own, like pushing the creative envelope and trying to think of things that that aren't being done right now that we think that we could you know, do well and executing on that, I think is exciting. Very exciting, I'm excited to be cool. a part of it. So should we dive into some questions now? Let's do it. We're doing it a little bit differently this time. There was a lot of questions because we, we hadn't been doing this for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of stuff in the voicemail. So what I did is kind of combed through and found some subject matter that I'm gonna paraphrase. Like headings, um, like top, like sort of themes. Yeah. yeah. So th- these are questions that have come in in various forms uh, more than once. And that's where we're gonna start. Uh, we're going to dive right in. The first question we're going to handle is, uh, tips on breaking bad habits. And when do you know that a bad habit is actually an addiction such as gaming or doom scrolling? This one's spurred by a listener whose Ironman training got waylaid by travel and, and a gaming addiction. So the listener was training for an Ironman and something happened and he got off his game and then got onto gaming, yes. like video gaming. I think gaming was always a thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, Warcraft, I think it was. Right. Yeah. And that, and that like just cratered his, his cratered Iron everything. Man training? Cratered everything. Yeah, everything <laughs> went into Warcraft. I love it. <laughs> okay. Um, you love a good addiction story. Right, so essentially yeah. the question is, bad habits versus addiction, what is the difference? Yep. Um, 
And there is a difference. There's a difference between what a habit is and what an addiction is. Um, a habit can be like a persistent you know, behavior that you perpetuate and it might even have negative consequences. But the difference between that and an addiction is that addiction entails a psychological uh, and, and generally also sometimes also a physical dependence. And there's a discomfort when we don't engage in the addiction, right? That sense of, of withdrawal or like craving or yearning. Um, it's something that we, we do repeatedly despite negative repercussions. Um, addictions are, are things that typically escalate over time, whether it's behavior, um, the frequency of use, the dosage of use in the case of substances. Um, and, and we do this uh, irrespective of escalating negative consequences, right? Mm. Uh, I think there's also like a compulsivity to addictions that are that's different from just a bad habit. Um, where there's this physiological again or, or psychological need for 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 engaging in in this habit, um, and and when we don't do it, there is there are symptoms, right? Anxiety, irritability. Uh, you know, there's physical symptoms with substances like tremors or nausea upon withdrawal or abstinence. That is the state of of being addicted, right? And I think addiction, and I've said this many times, is is something that is a self-diagnosis, like you, only you can diagnose yourself as to whether you are engaging in addictive behavior or just a bad habit. Um, and I think uh, in, in trying to figure that out for yourself and distinguishing a habit from an addiction, think about choice, right? Like with habit, choice plays a, a larger role. Um, with addiction, Part of addiction is is uh, the removal or the denigration of choice in the matter to the point where it doesn't feel like there is a choice, like there is such a compulsion that it just happens. And irrespective of your, you know, yeah. your, your wish to have a choice over it, it like happens no matter what. I mean, I think that's a good kind of litmus test for figuring it out. Um, so examples, right? Like a bad habit would be, like you, you know, you just put your dirty dishes in the sink and you don't wash them or like you don't brush your teeth before you go to bed or something like that, right? Not great, you know, these are not awesome habits, uh, but is there a compulsivity around it? Is there a sense of unease when you wash your dishes? And you're right. not, you know, you're not just leaving them dirty in the sink. No, right, it's right. so that's the difference between, you know, something that would be, an addiction. Um, so you would you know, put gaming more into the addiction category for a lot Yeah, well, people. I don't know, you know, only he, he has to ask himself that. Right. There are people that play video games and who are not addicted and right. there are people who are addicted. And often the, the amount of playing isn't necessarily the determining factor. No, I think a lot of, that's the problem with smartphones. A lot of people are addicted to the tech now, right? It, it, it's low level. But sure. like they can't put their phone down. They can't stop scrolling. No. Right. Of course not. Right. And it's it's not, is it low level? No, maybe not. You know, and this is this is, you know, I've been banging this drum for a while, but let's expand our notion of of addiction and how we think about addiction. Like addiction isn't just alcoholics and drug addicts or people that, you know, lose all their money gambling. You know, it is you know, the 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 inability to like you know, put down the phone can be an addiction Definitely. when it is 
you know, taking you out of the present and robbing you of the experience of, of being in your life, right? Mm. Uh, video games are, you know, another screen version of that where there's an engagement on behalf of the individual, but certainly, you know, plenty of people are addicted to video games. Yes. And the fact that this guy like cratered his Iron Man training because he got all caught up in a video game. I mean, that's what it sounds like. I don't know right. the details of it, but it sounds like an addiction to me. But again, like it's not for me to diagnose this person. Like questions to ask that, that this person or, or whoever is relating to this should ask themselves is, you know, do, do you feel like this is a compulsion? Do you feel like your engagement with it is outside of your control? Is it something you covet? Is it something that you, uh, you know, tell lies about, that you rationalize or downplay? And then getting honest about what the costs of, of, of this behavior are to yourself and also to other people, right? And then the other question I had is kind of going behind the question. Like the question is, is this a bad habit or an addiction? Like, why is he asking this question? Hmm. If he's asking the question, it's probably a problem. If it's right. not a problem, you're not asking this no, question. No. And there's sort of a light dusting of hopeful hopefulness that like, I'm gonna say this is just a bad habit and don't worry about it. Like, does it matter what I say? Is this a bad habit? Is this an addiction? Because my sense is that this is interfering with this person's well-being, right? And he knows it and he's looking for an excuse or some way to rationalize continuing to engage in the behavior which is to me indicia of it being an addiction. Does Boom. that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Good like, stuff. like you already know it's not good for you. You know it needs to be addressed. Right. This is why you're asking. Because you're question. not just asking your friend. You're calling a line. There's like a lot of yeah. decisions you have to make. Yeah. To, like you to he, get this. This person knows the answer to the question already, right? And and maybe that answer is uncomfortable, but. Um, you know, deep down when the head hits the pillow, the clarity is there. Yeah. That's why I haven't been an insomniac. <laughs> is it you? <laughs> the 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 hive of the, right. the brain hive. What are you hiding, Adam? Stop. What are you hiding? What are you running away from? It's so deeply hidden, I can't tell you. Right. Well, maybe you need to go to the sky cave retreat <laughs> and sit with yourself in the dark for six days. I think I would try to get the room next Something to, would come up. Next to Colin and I would just be like, Morse coding. Hey, there. there must be there must be some of that. Like it would be so interesting yeah. to know. Like whoever the people that own that place must have stories right. about people losing their minds. Exactly. Yeah. Like, did you get the chocolate pudding or just the Jello? Because this is this is shit food. So, like, how would you? I don't know. So many questions. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to the next. All right, next one question. How do you speak to friends or family members about lifestyle changes that might help them? When is it time to help? And when is it better to let them struggle and come out of it on their own? This is a kind of a composite of a handful of questions yeah. of, of people. And you know, we've asked, we've answered kind of something like this before, but I think it's, it always bears repeating some of this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a very tricky, delicate thing. Yeah. And you know, by lifestyle changes, that could mean like, hey, don't eat crappy food, eat this food, or you right. know, maybe don't stay up all night, or maybe don't drink so much. Right. You know, or you know, it could be anything, right? But you know, one of the things that that I've learned in recovery is that I I you know, I just don't like I, I stay out of giving advice or trying to change other people. And I try to just keep my 
side of the street clean mm -hmm. and for people that are interested, happy to share my experience. So that's kind of the general way that I approach all of this stuff. So I do have this default reluctance um, or, or kind of uh, you know, reflex to hold back from getting involved in solving other people's problems. Um, especially when it comes to lifestyle changes, which you know often can be the most recalcitrant of problems to change. Um, and there's, there's a, I recognize there's a little bit of irony in this because this show and, and, and what I do is you know fundamentally about change, right? How can we be better serving as this sort of change agent as you will. Um, but, but if you pay attention to the show, I think you'll find that it's quite rare that I ever tell anyone what to do or not to do, right? right? Like, right. you know, I'm always trying to kind of abstain from judgment or taking other people's inventory or providing any kind of unsolicited advice. And, and this is especially true in my experience when it comes to friends and family. Uh, and again, another built-in irony here is that, you know, <laughs> the people that you care the most about um, are often, you know, the people that are the most difficult to reach uh, right. and that, and, and, you know, myself or whoever is trying to carry this message are often the exact people that they can't hear the advice from, right? Like you're just too close to them. And I have countless examples of, you know, family members, friends, uh, you know, people who I've worked with who, you know, like, like I can, through the show and books and all these things that I do, like I carry a certain message, right? right. And, and, and I try to be divorced from how that lands or whether it impacts people or changes them or not. Um, but with family members, like, you know, no, there's like a force field around it. Like they can't hear it from you. Like you're <laughs> the kid that, you know, like. <laughs> because like, they also know, yeah. they also know where it's not, you're yeah. not always, you're not always as, uh, as perfect as it might sound, right? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Of course, So they right? know all that stuff, right. So after like, you know, doing this for so long and then suddenly, you know, somebody's like, hey, I just, you know, I'm, I'm 30 days plant-based or I did that. And I was like, great. Like, how did that happen? Oh, I heard, I read this book from like somebody else or right. like on YouTube or something like that it has nothing to do with me. And it's always funny. It's like, I'm right here. I've been right here the whole time kind of saying the same thing, but like, okay, that's great. You know, like, but that's the way it works, right? Yes, um, that is the way it works. Friends and family, like you can't make somebody willing to change. And when you're kind of, forcing your idea, like you've had, okay, so let's say you've made a lifestyle change and it's improved your life and you're enthusiastic about that. And of course you want to evangelize that, but that right. makes you annoying and people don't want to hear that, right? <laughs> right like, right, no. you know, that you, be, you become like uh, the antithesis of what you're trying to accomplish in that other right. person. You're more like, be the example. You're a lighthouse. You put it out there, the light's on. And live your life, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Live your life. I would say that, the exception is when the advice or, or is solicited. Like if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I need help. Like, can you help me? Here's what I'm work, you know, struggling with, or do you have any advice for me? That's a different situation. Um, and I think in those cases, the response that I generally offer is like, do you want me to tell you what I think and give you advice? Or do you want me to just listen to you and, and be supportive? Because mm. those are two different things. And sometimes people who are coming to you under the root, under the kind of auspices of seeking advice, actually they just want to be heard yes. and listened to. Yes. And they don't really want you to tell them what to do. Um, so getting clarity about that, I think, is important. They don't want your dime store wisdom. No, they don't. 
right? <laughs> no. um, and so behind all of this is willingness, right? Willingness is what drives transformation. And, you know, without willingness, and by willingness, I mean, you know, that, that, that internal desire to change that is driven from within the self and not impulsed by something external, um, any kind of sustainable change is, is impossible, right? And you can't will somebody to be willing. No. You can't compel somebody to be willing, no matter how much they're suffering or no matter how much you think you have the solution for them, um, they have to decide for themselves that they want that. And you being in the position of trying to convince them um, not only you know how to change, but that they should change is really kind of a fool's errand. And it's a mistake that, that I see a lot of people make often. Um, and I think in those cases, you're probably better off like leaving the person alone, letting them know that you love them and that you're available for them if and when they wanna do something different than whatever it is that they're doing. But in the meantime, like allow them to, to be because uh, perhaps they need to uh, you know, be in the world and have this experience that might actually catalyze that internal willingness right. at some point. You don't wanna rob them of that. But it's hard, it's hard to watch people struggle. I mean, I think that's where it's this comes really from. Hard, it's really hard, especially to watch when struggle. it's somebody yeah. that you care about. Right, especially that. Imagine your yeah, child. Of course. Imagine my parents when I was doing what I was doing. Right. Like it's, 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 this is like the hardest thing. Yeah. It's really hard. Like, when do you intervene? When do you, you know, try to help? When do you say enough is enough and you step aside? Like, these are very difficult, you know, situations and it's a case by case thing. Life does not fuck around, does it, Rich? No, no. Um, Anything else there? Any other thoughts that I have on that? Um, I think I would just say for that person that you're seeking to, you know, be of service to, I don't see a problem in in testing the waters from time to time. For example, just, you know, kind of calling them up or, you know, getting together with them and then, you know, posing it as a question like, hey, how's that thing going for you? Like, you happy? Like, what's going on? Like trying to strip any judgment or right. kind of veneer of like, you know, like I'm here to change you or help you just right. like get rid of that and just be curious about or them. even just and hang out like you could just say hey i'd like to take you to lunch or i'd like you i'd like to like let's go watch a concert or something and just hang out right mm -hmm. and not even bring it up and see, yeah and sometimes that's the thing to do to reach somebody right but when it's family that's pretty hard to do because right. there's so much history and baggage like oh you want to take me out to lunch what are you going to tell me what to do with right. my you know it's like it's already fucked up yeah so you know <laughs> This is why I should not, it's yeah. not, it's not A-M-A-D-A-M. A-M-A, ask, <laughs> ask me anything. Ask Adam anything. It's not oh. A-A-M, it's A-M-A. Okay. -A. Anyway, those are my thoughts on that. I don't know if that's- Don't listen to me, not, but folks. Cool. So this is a, another one inspired. A lot of people called in with, they knew someone, that uh, they want you to interview or that, or they had a recommendation for someone they admire that they want you to interview. Josh Lewis recommended Bob Weir, the great legendary mm. Bob Weir, the Grateful Dead for the pod. Um, I've mentioned Henry Rollins to you in the past. We talked about that privately. And I'm just curious if you want to give us your list of rockers and musicians at the top of your pod guest wish list. And, um, and then also mm. if you want to talk to the folks and just tell them, because people are asking about booking people, like how do you, generally select guests and book them. 
Right. So those are two questions. Yep. I mean, the 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 general question around selecting and booking guests is kind of an evolving um, thing and something I've put a lot of thought into when I was taking my sabbatical. I have some ideas about how to do that differently. I would say in general, like I keep a, a working list, like a spreadsheet, like anytime I come across somebody who I think would be cool, I add them to this list. I try to figure out who to contact or who knows who to, you know, so it's, we don't work with a booking agency. Uh, you know, nobody else books the show except me. Nobody else decides who's going to be on the show except me. So it's all about like who I'm curious about and then who I kind of pursue. Um, and some of these people, like, I don't, I'm like, how am I going to figure out how to get to, I don't know who, you know, like I can right. DM them on Instagram, but you know, short of that, like, um, it's difficult. So a lot of these take a long time and there's a lot of no's. And I think I also have, you know, if I'm being honest about my weaknesses with this, I've been overly reactive in terms of booking the show um, as opposed to proactively going after the people I really want, mm. you know? And I, I've i never been super systematic or about the whole thing. And I think I have a lot of room for improvement there. And that's one thing I wanna do better this year than I've done in the past because the show's at a scale right now where I get a lot of incoming, you know, and I have a lot of, hey, you know, friends who recommend or whatever. And so it's pretty easy to be like, oh, that that would be cool. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Like that's being kind of responsive to easy stuff to that's- Easy to fill the slots. People, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, and when, but I'd like to think of it differently from the point of view that, over the course of a year, with the exception of the master classes and the best ofs and the roll-ons and things like that, I, I have about 50 open slots for the year. Who are the 50 best people in the world that I can get to come here and sit down with me? Like looking at it, not like, oh, that would be cool. Let's do that and being very casual about it. I'd like to be a lot more um conscious and intentional about really going after the people that I want the most. Mm. And I think what has traditionally gotten in my way is somebody to say, oh, you should get this person in some like fancy, I was like, well, I don't know that, but they don't wanna do it. Right. You know, like I, I get, I, uh, I get self-defeating about it. Like, right. why would they come talk to me, you know? Right. As opposed to, you know, just having more at bats. And if they say no, fine, but like try. You know, but so the answer is like, yeah, 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 I have a list and, you know, I'm, I'm in communication with lots of people at any given moment. And sometimes it takes a long time before right. schedules aligned because we only do it in person. Um, but every time I come across somebody interesting, they get added to that list. Cool. And, and so I kind of slowly work my way through that list. In terms of musicians, yes. that's the other part of the question. Yes, yes. Who are the musicians that are on Who's the on list that currently? List? Who's on that list? Uh, there's some interesting ones. I mean, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but maybe the ones that are most interesting, Dave Grohl, Mm -hmm. Number one on that list. Yes. Got to get Dave Grohl oh, yeah. on. I listened to his audiobook when I was in Australia. It's it's good, man. Have you read his book? I have not. It's I, I should I should. It's I'm really good. It. It's yeah. super. I'm gonna enjoyable. get the audio. I mean, like that dude is awesome. Of course. Right? Yeah. Uh, so he's up there. Flea is up there. Of Another course. incredible book. That's a you great just book. read his book, I read, right? I read his book. Yeah. It's phenomenal. For the I, I, I love Flea. I, mm -hmm. I love. He's fantastic. We're both Laker fans. Yeah. He was watching a Laker game on his iPad in Australia while playing Bridge Over Troubled Water. It's not. It's <laughs> it's been a fraught season. Right. Um, and I just I, sometimes I watch that Australian too. Yeah, Austra grew up in Australia, Australia as a Australian, kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, both uh, both his parents were Australian. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Who else? Uh, Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. I'm not like a heavy metal guy, but this guy's life story is bananas. So 
until I'm, you're saying he flies his own, he flies his own plane. He has like such a diversity of expertise and, and like different things that he's into. So yeah, he became a commercial pilot, like when Iron Maiden was huge and, uh, and started a whole like aircraft maintenance and pilot training company. Um, and he, he would fly the band in a 757. Like he piloted the band in their own 757. So the reason that's amazing <laughs> to me is because in Bali, I can't tell you how many times because I, I, I used to cover Indonesia a lot for Lonely Planet and, and every, almost a lot of times, not every time, I frequently would fly into Bali and see, in and out of Bali and see Iron Maiden's plane. Like right. it, it, that's him? Yeah, so he flies it. So he has a he's in Bali a lot, obviously. Uh, apparently, yeah. I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. He also writes novels and film scripts, he does? and like, yeah, I mean, just like Google the guy. I it's will. like it's crazy. Got to right? get him. It's perfect so, for you. Yeah, Dave Grohl, Bruce Dickinson, yeah. Flea, uh, Michael Stipe, top of the list too. I'm a massive course. REM fan. Uh, did you hear Courtney Love on Mark Maron's podcast? I did not. You got to check that okay. out. It's, I will. It's wild. All right, man. like wild. I can't tell whether she's a genius or like bananas or somewhere in between, but she's got stories. And she has she's, stories. You know, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> she's so, got more like, stories. Yeah. Than <laughs> uh, I think Bjork would be incredible. Yeah. I think Sinead O'Connor would be amazing. I mean, wow. her life and yes. kind of how she was treated and everything that happened with her. Yeah. Um, does Bo Burnham count? Of course. Bo yeah. Burnham's incredible. Yeah. Um, I tried to get Tom Morello a while back. I think he had a book coming out and I went through a publicist who said no. So really? I might have to revisit, revisit yeah. that. I mean, you know, who else? Tom York, Trent Reznor. Um, one one, one uh, musician who I quite fancy, who people might not be familiar with, is this film composer called Ludwig Göransson. Yes, I'm familiar. Swedish composer. Uh, he wrote the score for Black Panther the score for The Mandalorian. He works with Christopher Nolan. He wrote the score for Tenet and the score for the upcoming Oppenheimer mm. movie. He also produced Childish Gambino. And like, this guy's cool. Like yeah. he makes these videos where you're in his studio and he'll show you his process. Like he goes through the whole thing about how he came up with the theme for The Mandalorian. Oh, really? Like working with all these weird instruments and how it all came together. And I'll put links up to some of those videos in the... Um, in the show notes. And he, he's kind of like the new kid in terms of advancing what a film score can be, um, like iterating on, on like, you know, kind of a new, new, like new sound modalities for film. Like yes. if you go and like really listen to the music in Tenet, like it's, it's pretty wild what he does in that movie. Hmm. So anyway, I would love to sit down with him. Cool. I'm glad I asked All you that right. question. Yeah. It was kind of a paraphrase, but also it was my, in, my curiosity. that interesting to anybody? But anyway, all right. Let's I don't do, know, I think let's the do... way you choose your guests is interesting and all of that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've been reactive, now you're going to be more proactive, hopefully, and, 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 and yeah. you know, try to break down these publicists, these publicists working with the old game, you know, old media. Don't get me started. Keep going. <laughs> um, then there were a lot of messages from listeners who were actually just calling to thank you, you know, and uh, for a show that enriches their lives. Um, and I just thought it was cool because it just shows, you know, then they would talk about how they recommend it to friends or they would, they would recommend their friends and mentors to you to be, their, to be, to be guests mm -hmm. on the show. It just speaks of this powerful connection, word of mouth phenomenon 
and how the branches kind of link back and forth. And, uh, you know, so I just thought I wanted to share that with you, having, having gone through so many of these messages and curious about how that makes you feel hearing that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, you know, on some level. I mm. mean, it's incredibly gratifying, uh, the fact that this thing that, you know, we started 10 years ago on a creative whim without any kind of plan and, and, and just sort of nurtured with love and curiosity has like grown into this thing that I would have never imagined. And it didn't, it didn't happen because of any kind of like business plan or anything like that. And we've never advertised or bought reach or done any kind of paid promotion. Um, you know, we've never really had a, a viral moment that produced any kind of huge growth spike. I mean, we've had some shows that have done well, like the Huberman yeah. one in particular, which did like 12 million, I guess. So that would be an outlier. But in general, like it's just been this very slow creep of, you know, growing the show gradually and organically. Um, it's, it's, it's the analogy is like being an ultra endurance athlete, mm. right? Like slow and steady wins the race, like right. being the tortoise, um, the prize doesn't go the fastest. It goes to the guy who slows down the least. And, and we've just maintained a certain pace over a very long period of time. When we began, we were kind of in the right place at the right time. There's a lot of luck involved. And then a lot of work that went into the, into it behind the scenes that, that, you know, made it what it is today. Um, which, like I said, is very gratifying. It's, it's, you know, it's it, an incredible thing that, I feel incredibly privileged. Like mm. I just, you know, I, I get to do this thing every day. Like, are you kidding? It's amazing. Um, but it can be a little bit weird and surreal at times because there's this parasocial relationship <laughs> with the listener yes. uh, that occurs that, that can create some kind of strange encounters in the world, oh, okay. but also nice. And there are things that, you know, I don't, I don't deal with really when I'm at home, but when I travel and I'm at airports or in different cities and I get approached quite a bit, but it's always like, like there's all when somebody comes up to me, it's almost as if we have a pre-existing relationship. Right. Like they already know me. Like I'm their friend that they just they were just with the other day, and like oh now he's here now, so I'm right. gonna go say hi to him. <laughs> right, right, like, right. Like, but it's a one-sided thing, right. you know. And and so there is a little bit of awkwardness with that, but it's actually it's really it's um it's very endearing. Like yeah. and 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 I guess you know the main thing in terms of like what I could impart to the listener or the, the viewer is that this experience has proven to me that we're all more powerful than we think we are, especially in this internet era where anybody can, you know, go online with a camera or a microphone and, and, and share, you know, share themselves. Um, and the fact that, you know, I'm just a guy and I started this thing and over time it's become important to other people. And like, I don't have any more ownership over it than, than the audience does. Mm -hmm. Like it's as much theirs as it is, you know, mine or the team of talented people that I now surround myself with that work really hard to create this thing every week. Like they, they work harder, you know, or at least as hard as I do right. to do this. So it's really not about me. I think it's really about the power of the individual to, to produce change. Like if I could do this thing, like I just think everybody has something inside of them um, that they could express to make the world a little bit of a better place. Uh, and, you know, if I could do this thing and, and, and perhaps change people's lives a little bit, um, 
I think everybody, you know, can make a difference in the world. And, and I can tell you that being engaged in the process of like trying to offer something positive to the world and, and, and not get caught up in metrics and, well, that guy's doing this and he's bigger than me. And like, why is that guest doing that? You know, like when I get, fr when I free myself of all of that noise and just remember like why it is that we're doing this, um, it's just, it's just a, like an overwhelming sense of like gratitude. So I want everyone to feel, you know, their version of, uh, of that. And I think it's, we're in a, a time and a, and a place where that's more possible than it ever has been in history. Boom. So there you go. Well said, well said. We have one more department. Are we going to do that? The gonna media end, diet. We got to do it. The media diet? We're doing the media diet. Right. One more department, the media diet. So we're going <laughs> to, all right, introduce this. So I was, uh, Joanne Molinaro, the Korean vegan, mm -hmm. had us over for dinner the other night. And she was saying how she loved knowing that you're a binge watching geek, just like everyone else. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I see her at the gym and, I, and she's like, oh, I, I, I like figured out what to like stream because of what, I was like, really? Yeah. Like you might be the only one, but okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you had a lot of time on your hands. Yeah. In the sky cave of Byron. Um, did you do some binge watching? Did you stream or not? I stream? tried not to stream too much, but I did, I did, uh, I, you know, I did, I did watch a few things. So tell um, us the highlights. Just, you I, don't have to give I, everything. I little, yeah, I don't want to make like a huge thing of this, but I did one thing that I do every year, which is I rewatch Michael Clayton because oh, I nice. need to watch that movie every single I love year. Michael it's Clayton. one of the greatest movies I ever it. made. Fantastic. I love, I love Michael Clayton. Love it so much. <laughs> it's like an old school suspense movie, you know, like one back, like, yeah. But some great performances. It's fantastic, yeah. right? It is, it is the, I, I don't know, it's everything that I love in a movie. I love you it know? too. And I think Tony Gilroy, who wrote and directed that movie, uh, is now applying his talents uh, beautifully in Andor, which is the Star Wars spinoff uh, oh, that's series. Him? Yeah, oh. Tony Gilroy created that. Okay. So that would be another streaming recommendation that's also great for the family and the kids and all of that. Uh, you know, I'm somebody who likes Star Wars, but I'm not like a huge Star Wars person. And now in this extended Star Wars universe of like all these shows and all right. these movies, it's sort of like, really? Right. Um, but Andor stands apart um, on a quality level. It's like- I've heard. And Tony loves doing it. Like he, he's like in his prime, he gets to write the stuff that he cares about. And the themes that he explores in his movies are explored in Andor. It's, it's like Star Wars for grownups. Okay. And it's almost not even Star Wars, like with the occasional TIE fighter flies by, but like you could forget it's even Star Wars. It's just a very well-crafted story about economic disparity, uprising, revolution, mm. uh, you know, it's political in that regard. Like you know, early, like, like the first part of Hunger Games. Well, it's, it's, it's like the early part of the rebellion. Like right. what caused the rebellion? Oh. What is actually happening? What is the empire doing to these people that's causing them to want to rebel? So that's classic sci-fi parable to the uh, present day. It's good. Um, what else? You know, a lot of a lot of the movies that I watch are rewatches. Okay. I rewatch re Broadcast News. I rewatch Cop, Copland, News. which is Sylvester Stallone's best movie. But never seen it. You've never seen Copland. Never seen it. Come on, man. Uh, also, hot take. <laughs> hot take. <laughs> have you seen The Informant by, yes, by Steven seen, Soderbergh? I, I have seen The Informant. My hot take is that yes. this might be Matt Damon's best performance of any movie. I like him in Syriana. Which I like Syriana I also too. Love Syriana. Yeah, I think that to me that's and I also I mean he's amazing and talented, Mr. Ripley. 
I really like Siriana. Siriana yeah. got like a bad rap from the critics. But I don't know why. I think it's great. I do too. And I love Stephen Gagan. I think he's an Amazing. incredibly talented Amazing. Uh, filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who wrote well, great writer too. Yeah. yeah. And amazing storyteller who would be welcome on this podcast at any time. Yes. I love Syriana. I, I don't know why people didn't like I it. I like Syriana yeah. very much. Yeah. Um, I rewatched a little known series called Rubicon on okay. AMC, which okay. is kind of like hard boiled, you know, spy trade craft. I Ooh. love that stuff. Anyway, what are we talking about here? Like I, you know, I watched White Lotus. I like that. I want to shout out The Climb. Okay. Uh, the Jason Momoa and Chris Sharma. Yep. Uh, series, which is really People cool. People love that. I yeah. have not seen it yet. Really good. Yeah. Last and, of Us, are you uh, into Last of Us? I am because my kids are super into it. Yeah. And I've enjoyed that. You know, yeah, of course you are. We talked about Cordyceps. So. We just got into it. Uh, one other kind of off-kilter series that I would recommend on Netflix is Song Exploder. It's based on You're the right. podcast Song Exploder. We've talked I about probably that talked about it. Yeah, yeah. When, when the REM um, one we talked they about. They have a season two up right now. There's only like four episodes per season or whatever, okay. but I just really love that show. It's fantastic. And then in terms of podcasts, because we're talking about streaming, podcast yeah. falls in that. I enjoyed this limited series called The New Gurus by Helen Lewis, who's a writer for The Atlantic. Each episode uh, kind of uh, looks at this secular guru landscape, kind of in the way that the Decoding the Gurus guys do okay. it. Um, but she does it in a documentary kind of style. And it kind of paints the picture of what this new world of internet gurus looks like mm. and what it's doing to people and where it's working and where it's going sideways. And, you know, Helen is very introspective and insightful uh, on this subject matter. That's cool. So check that out. Yeah. I had to shake her. She was trying to tell me here. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to knock on our door. Um, she actually just wrote a really amazing piece for The Atlantic. Um, okay. I'm pulling it up right now. It's called The Internet Loves an Extremophile. Ooh. The subtitle is Online Culture Favors Influencers Who Pinball from One Enthusiasm to the Next. Uh, it's a it's a pretty great long read. Yeah. I'll link that up in the show notes as well. Let's do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Cool. What have you been enjoying? Um, I uh, So far, I haven't seen too many movies. We saw everything everywhere all at once. Really like that, obviously. Um, saw White Lotus. Uh, loved White Lotus. Uh, the Last of Us, we're just getting into now. But I think of all the things that I've seen or heard, I've been, you know what stuck with me the most is David Sedaris's new audiobook, Happy Go Lucky. I think it's probably the most um, prescient take on the pandemic and the lifestyle that we all kind of had to undertake and mm. his responses to it. I mean, if you don't, obviously David Sedaris, he's, he's a master at the height of his powers here. He's meant to be heard, not just read. He's so great when he reads it himself. He unpacks his life story, impacts his family members. He basically puts the light on everything. And he, <laughs> he really, I mean, he's merciless. Uh -huh. But in the end, you, there's so many poignant moments and you, you learn about kind of his relationship with his father. You learn about his relationship with his siblings. You learn his own quirks. And he's just obviously hilarious. I mean, I think to me, he's a descendant of Mark Twain. I know Mark Twain was a yeah. master novelist. He's not a novelist, so it's it's not exactly a great comparison. But in terms of an American humorist who kind of can nail the American culture so easily mm. and, and mercilessly, here's a guy that does. It is laugh out loud funny and cringy and awesome. Happy-go-lucky. Happy-go-lucky. I will definitely on, on, check on that on out. Audible. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah. 
And I, I, I have been listening to Dialogue by Robert McKee. I know he's mm. a guest that's coming up. Yeah, he's coming up. I know. Soon. I, I, and, I, and, you know, but like working on this other project for so long, I'm like, I get so crazy. Is it good? Is it going to suck? Whatever. And so like, I ended up diving into like writing, <laughs> like how to, how to become writing a writer. I'm, I'm like, I'm like learning to be a writer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I found this yeah, book. Cool. And the one thing I will say, I don't want to, I don't know if he talks about Shakespeare. Do you guys talk about Shakespeare in your podcast? <sighs> we recorded it so long ago. Did we talk about that? I don't think so. So the one thing I'll say, because I'm one of those writers, I'm not the guy who's in love with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Like I like certain plays, but I'm not, you know, to me, Shakespeare's awesome. I like certain plays, but I've never been the, the guy that has to read everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think, you know, why is it overblown? But what I didn't realize and what he says in dialogue is that Shakespeare invented like thousands of words that have become part of the English language lex- lexicon. Among them, elbow, eyeball. Like when he what? needed a word, he made up the word. Um, that comes out of dialogue by Robert McKee. And I so like that, that that's why there's... The, now it, basically... Ding, ding, ding. That's why there's this obsession among so many people in English departments with Shakespeare. Because he didn't just entertain, he crafted the the Mm. lexicon we're all using now. Does that mean that we're allowed to make up words now? Yes. Okay, good. Yes, 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 (laughs) yes. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow, interesting. Um, I forgot to mention that, you know, on on the tip of like sharing movie stuff. Yeah. You know, I did spend New Year's Eve at the Arrow Theater in Santa Monica, enjoying a 70 millimeter print of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh, so cool. that should like ensure my like film nerd card. Oh yeah. That I would spend New Year's Eve. Big time. That That's what you, that, that sounds like a great Julie. New Year's Eve. Actually it was awesome. Was it just yeah. you and Julie? And Jaya. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a great one. Um, my favorite, I should, we'll wrap it up. Like my favorite movies of this year, because uh-huh. I know the Oscar nominations just came out. Yep. I still think, I mean, Tar is incredible. I got to see it. You haven't seen Tar yet? I got to see all these that you have But I'm have glad there, that everything everywhere all at once, you know, it felt like maybe that came out too soon, but then it got like, I would it get like 11 nominations. Don't you think it's going like, to win? It's I feel in, like it's going to win. I think it's in a good position. Yeah. Um, Banshees of Inishiran, incredible. I love that movie. You haven't seen it? Not yet. I, even though I, 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 you know, In Bruges is one Colin of my favorite Farrell, movies of all. Colin brilliant time, in that yeah. movie. Yeah. The movie that I think got, sort of dismissed or overlooked. Maybe this is a hot take, but I really like this movie is White Noise. Yeah, it, that? some people didn't like it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've not based seen on it. the Dom DeLillo book, Noah Baumbach. Like right. it takes a lot of big swings and it, maybe it doesn't always connect, but um, I don't know, man, I dug it. It's built for middle-aged guys trying to figure out <laughs> what life's all about. <laughs> yeah. I, my choices are are like when I you know like I like spy stuff like right. I'm dad core yeah. like g- give me Jack Ryan on Amazon like I'm happy you know what I mean yes you're dad core <laughs> like so uh, and then the other the other movie that I really enjoyed is Triangle of Sadness I don't know if you saw I've that, heard that's that amazing fantastic. we got to watch all these but, we're just reading but more in, and more in but. the meantime go see Megan because that movie fucking rules Megan yeah the AI robot that goes on a killing spree come on Adam that sounds like Terminator. Terminator. It's a little girl, four foot tall girl. Oh, even goes on a killing rampage. Come on. <laughs> All right. You think I'm highbrow? Is AI a good idea? Well, go see Megan and decide for <laughs> I've yourself. I've already seen Terminator. Why no. are we doing AI? It's <laughs> <Yeah>. a bad idea. <laughs> Please go see Megan. Okay. And uh, we will reprise Roll On again soon, right? But not in this. Is this it we'll for see. this? Yeah. I, what, I, That'll be know, a little I, kibitzing. 
We gotta yeah. have some convincing. Eh. And uh, you know, like I said, you guys let us know. Leave a comment on YouTube. All right. Tell us what you think. Okay. Is that it? We're That's out? It. That's good. it. Good. All right. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to 2023. Adam, so good to see you. I love you, buddy. I love you too, man. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Let's make some cool again. shit this year. Let's do it. All right. Cheers. Peace. Ice, ice, baby. Yeah.